Now, some of us need to be filled with joy. Because the joy of the Lord is going to be what? Your strength. And you're coming in here and you're weary, you're tired, you've been in some battles, you had some disappointments. But the Lord said, you know what? In my presence, in my presence is fullness of joy. So, Lord, come on. We're going to make a prayer right now. We're going to say, fill us with your joy. We're in the midst of a Daniel fast. We've set aside ourselves for the Lord. We're going to say, Lord, fill me with your joy. He does not want you to be weary. He does not want you to be weary. This microphone is hot today. He does not want you to be weary. That's the enemy's plan for you is weariness. Because when we get weary, what happens is that we become, um, we become stale. We become, uh, we, we become accessible to the enemy. He wants to tempt us. So in our weariness, we can give in to the temptation. Our armor is down. Pastor David says your armor gets down. So, Lord, you're going to fill us with your joy. You said, in my presence is not half full, not half full, not quarter full, not three-fourths full, but fullness, fullness, fullness of joy. So, come on. You know what? One thing I don't feel is overflow joy yet. We're going to have overjoy. You say, Lynn, it's not about feeling. You know what? We're going to, by faith, believe the overflow of the joy in your life, in my life, right now, January 13th, 10 o'clock a.m. Lord, we declare and decree the overflow of the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, which you have given to us, which is a gift from the Holy Spirit. So we declare it. We decree it over these people right now in your name. The Lord is just speaking. The Lord is saying it's time for you to give that thing up. And that thing may be pain. It may be disappointment. It may be sorrow. It may be the grief in your heart. The grief that has been for years and years and years. And the Lord says, I have a divine appointment for you right now. I have a divine appointment for you. I am jealous for you. I am jealous for all of you. I don't want the enemy to have any part of you. And sometimes when we have this pain in our heart, it's like the enemy having his way. It's like the enemy stealing a part of your life, keeping it under lock and key. And the Lord is saying, today is the day for you. Today is the day for you. Today is the day for you to give it to me. You got to give it to me. I can't, I am a gentleman. I do not come and ravage you. You have to come and give it to me. I am here. I am here for you. I want all of you. I want your marriage. I want your children. I want your life. I want your career. I want your finances. Whatever it is that you have not given to him. He's saying, I want wanted because when we place things in the hands of the Lord he heals them he multiplies them he makes them fruitful they belong to him and everything that belongs to Jesus is made whole is made whole it's time it's time for you as we sing that song again make it a prayer make it a commitment pour your heart out to the Lord don't hold on any longer 
there. You don't need to live in misery. You don't need to live in compromise. You don't need to live in depression. You don't need to live in oppression. The Lord is saying, give it to me. It is a divine appointment today for you to give it to me. When you're coming down here, I just see Jesus. I see Jesus, his hands are outstretched. He wants to embrace you. He, he's saying, run into my arms, run into my arms, run into my arms. Right now, some of you need to run into his arms. Yes, you're in his house, but you're not in his arms. And the Lord wants you to be in his arms. He wants you to feel his heartbeat. He wants you to feel his heartbeat. He wants you to feel the breath of God upon you. So run into his arms. It's time for you. It's a day for you. It's your appointment today. Don't miss your appointment. It's time. Come on. Step out. Step out. Break off that desert. Some of you have a spiritual desert. You've been in a spiritual desert. And the Lord says, break off that spiritual desert by stepping out. Step out. Step out. Step out. Step out. You know, some of you have been asking the Lord to do something. And he's doing it. And you... The image that keeps coming in my, my mind as we're sitting here worshiping is that we're at the pool of Bethesda and the water's turning. And you're more concerned that the water's turning than the Lord's coming to touch you. And the Lord wants you to step out. I don't know who this is for, but there's some of you in this room, you need to get up from your seat or move out of your aisle and you need to come down front and you need to seek the Lord because the Lord is here. We're, we're in the middle of a Daniel fast and God is doing something great. Every year he does it. But right now you need to step out because you're asking him to do something, but you're not willing to take the steps needed to do it. And I'm going to call you out right now. I don't know who you are. I don't, there's many of you. There's not just one or two, but you need to come up front. You need to just lay down whatever that burden you're carrying because the Lord says it's not your time to carry it. It's your time to lay it down. Come on. Come on. Come on. Don't be shy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just lay those things down right now on your altar. We lay them down, God, those burdens that we're carrying, those things that are heavy upon our hearts, oh God. We lay them down, Lord, right now, because we know that you are a good God. You're full of compassion. You're full of mercy. You're full of forgiveness. You're full of grace. You're full of, of cleansing us from anything that our past has brought into us today, Lord God. We could lay that upon the altar. Lord, you are a forgiving, gracious God. And we just lay those things down right now, God. Lord, we lay them, leave them on the altar, Lord. We don't need to carry them out of this place. We don't need to be burdened or tormented by them again. Lord, we release your spirit, the Holy Spirit, the sovereign spirit that created each and every one of us, Lord. We release your spirit over our lives today. And we ask, Father, that your spirit would do a mighty work right now. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Some of you need to be praying in your prayer language. Some of you need to just be speaking out in, in, in your heavenly language. Just release whatever God's doing right now. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. 
Yes, Lord. You know, I just, I feel like I hear those chains falling. I hear those chains breaking. Some of you, you say, well, it runs in my family. Well, you know what? May it in your generation stop running in your family. I hear those chains breaking. Come on. I hear those chains breaking. I see those chains falling. Come on. Come on. Let's break it off. I see those chains breaking. Come on. See the chains falling. Come on. You know what? You said you're gonna have to push a little bit. You gotta have to push yourself. You have to push yourself. Break those chains. Break the chains. Chains of addiction fall. Chains of addiction fall. Chains of depression fall. Chains of depression fall. Chains of poverty fall. Chains of the poverty spirit, the orphan spirit fall. Fall. Chains of low Carolyn, who leads our furnace in the morning, the prayer time in the morning, she wants to share. The Lord wants you to know that there's an anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage, and you are anointed by Him. And what's happened today is He has made you fat with the anointing. And what is broken today is shattered, so it cannot be put back on you. And you have the anointing to keep that thing off. You have the anointing. Jesus is your Messiah, the anointed one. And he has given you that anointing. You have an anointing to keep that thing off. So when that thing tries to come back on you, you say, I am the anointed one of Jesus. And it will not come back on me. Because what he did today, he broke it, he shattered it on the cross, and he's revealing it to you that it's broken, and do not let it back on. Amen. Amen. Let's rejoice in that word. Come on. The Lord has given you directive by his word. Amen. Lord, we receive your word. We are your army because we are anointed by you. We are your army, Lord, because we carry your anointing, Father. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, that nothing can be put on us, try to defeat us, that you are not greater than, Lord. So we declare this, Father. We decree, we agree with your word, Father, in your name, amen. One another before you're seated. If you're seated, stand up and say hello to somebody. 
God is so good to you guys. You know that? You know that? Just looking around at all your beautiful faces. Don't be looking saying, where are they? They're, look, they're right around you. Hey, if you don't think you have beautiful faces, uh, two weeks ago, was it two weeks ago I was in bed? So it was pretty ugly. It's good to see all your faces. Hey, this morning we're going to continue. Uh, Randy, I got some ringing. I don't know if it's just in my ears or it's just in the system, but um, uh, this morning we're going to continue the series. We're, we're going through a series right now of addressing lies that the church's, uh, church believes. Next Sunday, the lie we're going to address is you only live once. Do you know as a believer you, only, you live more than once? The world would like to tell you you only live once, so you've got to go for everything right now. And I'm not opposed to living a, a powerful, dynamic life. One of the things we want to do with the people that come here is we want to make you strong in your faith. We want you to be as strong as possible. We want you to be you know, all built up in your faith. And, and one of the things we're going to do even this evening, uh, we're doing a marriage uh, seminar. And if you haven't registered, just let us know. You can come tonight. There's no charge. We just want to make sure we have enough material. Okay? I did 36... Uh, uh, booklets this morning, but if we need to do more, we could run those. So if you're interested in coming, it'll be about an hour and a half, uh, two hours. Uh, we have childcare provided, but we want to strengthen every aspect of your spiritual life. Do you hear me? And so uh, next week, we're going to be dealing with the subject of you only live once. This morning, I want to talk to you about the lie, uh, which I believe is, is, is uh, it does something to us if we despise little things. And I want to talk to you about the, the lie of go, uh, go big or go home. How many have ever heard that? It's usually used in sports. People will tell you, you know, you got to do something big, you know. If you're not going to do something big, don't do it. And we, we think that if we have a bigger home or a bigger job or a bigger car or a bigger this or a bigger that, everything except the bigger belly, we're happy about it, right? And uh, the Daniel Fast will help you with a bigger belly. So what we're going to do is we want to address that. And I want to, uh, you know, interesting... Uh, Small things oftentimes uh, are, are very interesting. How many of you are ever, ever collect coins? Anyone ever collect coins? You know, uh, There's a couple slides here. This, these are just a, a couple slides. The first one is an 1848 braided hair large scent. Uh, it, was, it was worth one penny. Right now, if you wanted to buy it, you have to shell out 200 bucks for it. If you look at the one next to it, that's a 1834 half cent. Uh, half cents were, you know, back when we didn't have a lot of debt, uh, you could buy something for a half cent. That a half cent now is worth $350. And yesterday, they sold a 1943 copper penny, one of, they believe, only 15 in existence, for $204,000. You don't think little things can account to much? Let me tell you, there's lots of little things in your life and in my life that can account for a lot of things. And one of the things that is very interesting is, is we often think of something that is large and something that is big. We all often think about it, and we think that the only thing we see is the finished result. You ever think of that? When you look at something, you see it like you walk into the sanctuary here, and you say, wow, it looks so beautiful, but you don't remember the scaffolding and, and all the work that was done, or you came in the one Sunday, and we, we didn't have chairs, we had folding chairs, and the carpets were all ripped up and all. You, you look at the finished product, and you forget what it took to get there. Well, I'm a hopeless romantic, and one of the things that I did before uh, Pastor Lynn and I were married, 
she was working for me, and I had fallen in love for her, and she didn't know, and that's a whole nother, that's a Valentine's Day story. But uh, we decided to go to Niagara Falls. We weren't married, so we made arrangements, and she stayed with a friend of ours uh, and uh, was pounced on by cats all night. I slept really good. She didn't at all. Uh, and we went to Niagara Falls. And how many of you know Niagara Falls is a beautiful place? I mean, go to the next slide here. I think we have a slide of it. That's, that's the Niagara Falls Bridge. Uh, that's built right over the Whirlpool. Uh, it's a, a, a beautiful bridge. And an interesting thing, I don't know if you ever, ever study history, but you can learn a lot from history. And the history of this bridge is actually fascinating. I, I didn't realize uh, how this was actually developed, but it all started in uh, November of 1847. You remember those days? A couple of you remember those days? Okay. Uh, November of 1847, there was a, uh, a really uh, uh, prominent architect from Philadelphia named Charles Elliott. Uh, he was an architect and wanted, he, he, his expertise was taking difficult situations and building projects over them. So he would look for difficult situations. And so there was the, the gap here. Uh, that gap right there is about uh, 800 feet across. It is about uh, 250 feet down. Uh, it's crags, rocky crags, cliffs on both sides. And below it, there's a whirlpool. I mean, an ideal place to build a bridge. And so they, they decided they were, he decided that he, he and his team were going to build a bridge across from Niagara, New York to what is now Niagara, uh, uh, Ontario. And they were going to build a bridge there to connect the United States and Canada because they were going to make lots and lots of money from tourism. And if you ever go to Niagara Falls, he was correct. So what happened is they gathered together in a meeting and they didn't know what they were going to do uh, of how they were going to get a cable across because the water was so turbulent below, you couldn't take a, a, a boat across, there was no uh, easy access. So there was a young uh, 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 iron worker uh, named Theodore Hewlett and he said, why don't we come up with a contest? Why don't we see if we can get some kids to fly kites across the gorge and then we could use their kite string to, to go back and forth. Sounds like a logical thing, right? Isn't that what you do in today's industry? You know, you want to build a bridge, you fly a kite, you know? Uh, but actually, it's interesting. If you go to the next slide, this bridge was actually built through the flying of kite. And it was a 15-year-old boy named uh, Homan Walsh who took up the challenge. He lived in New York, and he took a ferry over across the river, walked two and a half miles to the side where they were going to build it, and started to fly his kite. But it was in the middle of winter, and the winds were, were bad. They had to wait a day or two, and then eventually their winds were good. He got his kite up in the air, and it was up in the air all day. He was flying his kite. He was staying awake after midnight when finally the winds subsided, and he felt his kite go down. And then all of a sudden, he pulled his string. And anyone who has ever flown a kite, and you have that terrible feeling where there's no tension, the string snapped. So he had to take a trek back over the river. He got, uh, was planning to do it, but there was only a problem because there was a huge storm. He was delayed eight days. And at the end of the eighth day, he made his way across the river, found his kite, because it wasn't like today, you couldn't just go run to Walmart and buy a new one, you know. He had to find his kite, repair it, make his way back across, and then eventually what he did, he got his kite across on January 30th, and it landed, and someone tied onto it, and eventually what they did, they tied a little bit heavier rope back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, till eventually they got to the place where they held a, uh, let me see, it was a, uh, I have it here someplace in my notes, wherever I'm at. 
Uh, but they, they eventually tied a heavy gauge metal to it, uh, and it was a cable that w- was 36 strands of number 10 wire, and that was the beginning of the bridge. And for his success, he was paid 10 U.S. dollars, which wasn't a lot right now, but back then it was about 300 bucks. And for a uh, young boy, that was pretty amazing. You know, that, that story is interesting because often we'll look, and if you go to the next slide, you'll see this beautiful bridge that we look at it and we think, wow, we have to do something huge. We have to do something great for God. But let me tell you, doing great things for God starts with small steps. You know, one of my favorite movies is, is What About Bob? And, you know, and that movie is, is you got to take baby steps, you know? Not, not you, Bob, but the other Bob. You know, and I know you've, you, you, it's, it, it's not all about you, Bob, but it's somewhat, somewhat about Bob, you know? But when you want to take and do something great, you have to start by taking small steps. Jesus understood this. If you look in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 16, there's an interesting passage of Scripture in verse 10 through 12 where he says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true wealth? You think about that? Now, we spend so much time in our life trying to accumulate worldly wealth, and Jesus says that's not even really true wealth. Think about it. You know, Peter and disciples were sitting at the temple, walking into the temple, and a beggar's there, and he's, you know, alms for the poor, you know, he's driving off the freeway, and there's a guy with a sign. And he's, you pull up and roll down your window, and he thinks he's about to score. And if you would say to him, silver and gold, have I none? He would probably not be very happy with you. But Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is true wealth. And so if you look at this text, what's amazing, he says, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? You know, he's basically teaching a principle. You have to be faithful in the little things in order to get more. Let me tell you, if, if I was your boss, and you were my employee, and you were a good employee, I would extend opportunities for you to, to make more money, right? I would give you opportunities to work overtime. I'd give you opportunities to do this. But if you were one of those employees, and I don't know, none of you were ever like this, but you're one of those employees that just has the gift of wandering and not the gift of working. You know the difference? They just kind of look like they're busy, but they really never get anything done. As an employer, I wouldn't give you any more opportunities. Why? Because you're wasting my corporate money. You're wasting the the resources of my business trying to extend things. Well, that's basically the same thing Jesus was saying here. He's saying, you know, if you're going to be faithful in the little things, you're going to be faithful in much. And that's what's so important. That's why I don't like this whole saying, go big or go home. And, you know, we've nothing against big churches or big businesses or big things. We've been part of two churches that were over a thousand. You know, it's, they're, they're great. They're, they're, that's fine. But what about us as individuals? Are we willing to be faithful in the little things that no one sees, that no one acknowledges? You know, it's never fun to do the little things. Everyone likes to do the big things. Everyone likes to do the things that you get applauded for and you get accolades for, but no one likes to do the little things. 
And so as you're reading through this, it's interesting because in the Gospels, the story of, of, of Jesus' life is just so transformational if we really allow it to, to become part of who we are as believers. And if you're truly a Christ follower, your desire is to be like Jesus. So look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 and 32. He's talking about the parable of the mustard seed. How many of you like to cook? You ever use mustard seeds? We have a little jar. I was thinking of bringing some and passing them out, but I know it was a Daniel fast, and some of you get really hungry and might eat it, you know? Uh, but a mustard seed at the time was one of the smallest known seeds in the, in the Orient. And it was a very small seed, but yet it's amazing because this very small seed, if it was planted in good soil, it would actually eventually develop into something that large birds could actually land on and and the tree wouldn't collapse, the plant wouldn't collapse. Look what he says. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in the field. Though it was the smallest of all seeds when it grew, it was the largest of the garden plants that became a tree so that the birds came and perched on its branches. You see, little things can eventually become large things, but it's all about the soil that they're put in and the nurturance of them. And I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you as men and women of faith to say, you know what? My faith can be small. I remember as a young believer, when I first accepted the Lord, I had zero, zero clue that I would ever pastor. I had zero clue that I'd ever go on to seminary. I had zero clue that I'd ever go on and get a doctoral degree. I never thought that was ever possible. But what I was, I was faithful in the little things. And let me tell you, when you're faithful in the little things, the Lord sees that and he says, you know what? Because you're faithful in little, I'm going to give you a little bit more. Because you're faithful in a little more, I'm going to give you a little bit more of that. Because you're faithful in a little more, I'm going to start giving you a medium amount of stuff. Then eventually you get some large things. But it all starts with this faithfulness in those little small things in our life. When we're talking about here the parable of the mustard seed, we're really talking about having faith of a child. If you have faith that is as small as a mustard seed, what does Scripture say? You'll be able to say to the mountain, be moved. How many of you like to do that? Especially on a cloudy day when El Toro's blocking the sun. You want to say, you know, be moved. Just... Do a, a shift, you know? Think how powerful that would be. Let me tell you, I, I never underestimate the small things. I found that many times what God does is he does, he does small things to do great things. Let me give you some examples. Jesus, nothing to do. He's out with a whole bunch of people. There's no food. He says to this little boy, hey, what do you got there? Oh, a little basket with a fish and a couple of loaves. Hey, give it, give it to me. We're going to feed 3,000. A couple days later, he does the same thing. It feeds 5,000. You know, when you think about Samson, Samson slew an entire army with a, a little tiny jawbone of a donkey. You know, King David, what he did, he took one little stone and took down a giant. You know, think about the faith that you could have if you were faithful in the little things. If every little thing God asked you to do, you were faithful, you know what would eventually happen? You'll start moving into new territories. You'll start moving into new arenas where God's going to bless you. Why? Because you've been faithful in the little, and when you're faithful in the little, he's going to extend things more to you. You know? One of the things that's interesting about little things is, you know, we 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 have a positive side of being faithful, but there's also a negative side. You know, there's little things that can destroy you. There's little things, you know, think of King David. King David was this great king, and he, he, how did he become a king? He was faithful in not allowing uh, uh, a pagan to blaspheme the name of the Lord, 
And so David went up against Goliath with a small sling, one small stone, took up backup just in case, right? But he took one stone, put it in his sling, flung it around his head, and boom, it planted right in his forehead. And he actually went and cut off the head of the giant with his own sword. I mean, talk about ultimate insult to a warrior, being killed by your own weapon, you know? And, and, and yet we see in his life, one of the things his, his problem was, he had this one little problem. He had a wandering eye. And he had a wandering eye, and he was just up on the top of his house at the season when kings should be at war. And he was, instead of being at war, he was up on his balcony and looking out over his roof and did a, whoa, that's pretty nice over there, you know, sees Bathsheba. And what happens? As a result, he commits adultery. He has four of his sons killed, uh, died under his, uh, because of his, uh, his, his sin. He actually sends Bathsheba's wife out to get killed. Her husband, yeah, sorry. <laughs> this was pre-California. Uh, <laughs> sends Bathsheba's husband out in the front line, so he's killed. So he's, he's an accomplice. He's, he's basically an accessory to murder. And so it's amazing. You see how one small stone killed a king, but one small look killed a kingdom. You and I can have one small look that could kill what God wants to do in our lives. And my concern for ch- many, many churches today, um, I'm not responsible for other churches. I'm responsible for this church. I will stand before the judgment seat of the Lord and give an account for how this church was fiscally managed, spiritually managed, relationally managed, property development managed, all of those things. I'm going to give an account to the Lord uh, someday that I'll stand there in front of the Lord and he'll say, during the time that you were pastor at Crossroads for those 37 years, <laughs> wheel up here in my wheelchair, you know, I want to know how you managed it. You see, because there's a lot of churches that they don't really, they're not really concerned with little sins. They're not concerned with the little sins. But yet so many little sins eventually become big sins. And the one thing that I found that if you don't deal with things when they're small, they tend to get very large very quick. And sometimes they're out of control. I mean, think of a forest fire. A little spark can decimate an entire village. A little a, a, a lightning strike, one strike of lightning can destroy so many things. A little drop of water that you don't take care of in your house could eventually destroy all of your flooring. One of the things that we often forget is that little things can sometimes destroy things. And one of the problems we have in the, in the, in the Christian world is if I point out a little thing that you're, you're having a problem with, I become a legalist. You know? Well, pastor, you're just a legalist. No, I'm someone that's trying to protect you. You know? If, if Jose, if there was a little leak and every time you walked in here as a plumber... You saw a little leak in the, in the foyer, and you just walked by as a plumber. Would you be a responsible person for not addressing that? As a spiritual pastor, if I see something in your life, if I see a little drip that is just dripping, and it's always dripping, and every time I see it, it's dripping, and it's getting a little bit more and a little bit more, but you don't realize it because you're acclimating to the drip, then all of a sudden you got this big flood, and you're like, Pastor, why didn't you say something? I tried to, but you said I was a legalist. Let me tell you something. I am not a legalist. This church is not going to be a legalistic church, but we're going to be a strong church. And a strong church is careful and protective of those that are part of it. A strong church says, you know what? I want to strengthen every aspect of your life. You know, part of the Daniel fast, some of us, we have health problems. Why? Because we eat poorly. 
You know? That's, come on. Let's not blame, blame the Lord. Well, God, I'm sick. No, you're eating sugar all the time. You're like, you're caffeined up, you're sugared up, you're caffeined up, you're sugar up. Your blood pressure's through the ceiling. Learn how to change your diet. No, that's not condemnation. That's just common sense. You know, some of you are in financial problems, and if your financial problems are messed up and you're not faithful in your, in your, your proper handling of your money, Jesus even said it. I'm not going to give you any more. You know? You know? Man, sure, I would, I would love to drive a Bucati or a Lamborghini or a Maserati, but, you know, but I drive a Cube. Why? Because I can afford it. <laughs> it's paid for, you know? It runs like a top, you know? Cats chase me down the street, you know? <laughs> they think it's a kitty litter box. <laughs> you know? I love that car. I thank God that was the car we got when we moved back from overseas, and I was thankful I wasn't walking like I was in India, you know? But, you know, the little things can destroy us. You know, I, I've, heard, I've, heard, I've heard guys say this. Well, it's no harm in looking. Really? What did Jesus say in the Sermon of the Mount? Jesus said in the next, look at this next slide. He says, you know, but I tell you that anyone who looks on a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You know, we live in a culture right now that we could, we could make this gender neutral because I've seen a lot of gals looking at guys and saying, woo, baby, you know. So it's not just a guy's problem, but guys tend to have a little bit more problem with visual stimulation than, than gals do. And one of the things that we have to be careful of is those little things can destroy your marriage. They can destroy your relationship. I love the look on this gal's face that's in, her, in the, this, the sleaze bag's arms, you know? I mean, if they were a biblical couple, she'd poke his eye out, probably both of them. He'd be much better with a dog and a cane than wandering eyes, you know? But, you know, we live in a culture that, that promotes just a little, little look's not going to hurt anyone. Yeah. Tell that to the founder of Amazon. Just came out this week. You know, there's an artist uh, or author in the early, eight, the early 1900s wrote something that I thought was really interesting. I remember reading this, and I went back in my notes and pulled it up, and it says this. Listen to this. It is one of Satan's most successful devices and strategies to lead men to the commission of little sins, to blind their minds to the danger of little indulgences, little indiscretions, little things that plainly stated are requirements of God. The man who would shrink with his horror from some great transgressions are led upon the little matters as trifling consequences, but those little sins eat out the life of godliness in your soul. You see, it's the little things that we often don't address as believers that could eventually become something that can consume us. You know, it's, it's the, the, the missing a checkup and finding out that if you'd gone to the checkup two and a half years ago that your cancer wasn't at stage four or stage five, that you could have checked it easily. It's the fact that when you have a little toothache and you start feeling the pain and you just ignore it and then you're complaining, you come to church and say, Pastor, pray for me, I've got an abscessed tooth and they're going to have to take five of my teeth out. Well, if you would have taken care of the little thing, it wouldn't have been something that grew something worse. You know, there's another thing. There's what I want to call the, the power of a little word. You know, uh, I wasn't always a pastor. Actually, my, my, my college education, I was going to be a recreation and parks major. 
So I, I got three credits for climbing a tree, and some of you took calculus, okay? Um, but one of the things, <laughs> we get that later. Uh, one of the things I learned when I was in a recreation parks major, I used to work at camps. And we used to, there was a song that I, I remembered uh, uh, singing all the time as a camp counselor. Uh, late last night, while we were all in bed, old Ma Leary put a lantern in the, took a lantern in the shed, and the cow kicked it over and blinked her eye and said, there'll be a hot time in the old town tonight. Fire, fire, fire. Do you know what that's about? Do you know the history of that? The Great Chicago Fire. The, the Chicago Fire, and this is a little bit of urban legend because they can't really confirm it, but it was believed that uh, the O'Leary family had a cow that kicked over a lantern in their shed, a twitch of a leg. Just think, a little twitch. How many of you ever get twitches? You know, just a little twitch of a leg. And just amazing, it's amazing what happened as a result of the twitch of that leg. 300 people dead. Roughly 3.3 square miles, 17,500 buildings destroyed, more than 100,000 people left homeless, and the estimated value of the fire in the 1800s was $222 million, which currently today would be $4.5 billion worth of damage because of a twitch. You don't think little things matter? You don't think those little things that you're ignoring in your spiritual life that the Lord keeps bringing up to you to address don't matter. Let me tell you something. They can destroy you if you're not careful. You know, Think about the tongue. Think about things that we say. James says it this way. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. How many of you like old music? Anyone like oldies? How many of you like the carpenters? You know, like the carpenters, you know. Uh, it's interesting thing about the carpenters. There was a, uh, an article written years after uh, um, she passed away, Karen Carpenter, and she passed away because of uh, anorexia and, and uh, bulimia, one of the, the early, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? What do you say? Examples. Examples um, hit a lot of media attention. Uh, Richard Carpenter was doing an interview once after his, wife, uh, after his sister passed away, and he said one of the comments that she always mentioned that when she was a little girl, someone referred to her as Richard's chubby little sister. Think of the words, you know. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Oh, yeah? I'd rather get hit with a stick or a stone than have someone speak into me because there's life and death in the power of the tongue. And, and many times we don't address that. You know, one of the things I do all the time, I don't know if you know this, Marsha, or not, but I'm, I'm going to confess to the principal of our school. Uh, we have a school here, if you don't know. And I'll, I'll, I'll walk into the kids' classrooms and I'll say, you are the smartest kids in this school. You know? Why? Because I'm speaking life to them. I tell the little girls and the little guys, you are so beautiful. You are so handsome. You're the, you're the smartest kid in your class. I saw one of the little girls, she was running over to the volleyball practice the other day, and she was with her mom, and, and I got down, and I said, you are one of my favorite little students because you're always so happy, and she always beamed up white because we're speaking life, you know? It's amazing the power of speaking positively to people, you know? Saying things, you know, sometimes we joke around, and, and we could joke around, but you have to realize we're going to be held accountable for every word we say. You know, sometimes we forget about that. You know, sometimes we forget that the words we say can really be hurtful and harmful to people. And, and yet many times what we do is we, we, we say things and we don't realize the consequences of those words on someone's, you know, personal life, who they are as a person. You know, we're, spo we're supposed to speak the truth. 
You know, I had a guy in one of my churches that always spoke the truth, but it was never in love. You know, there's a lot of people that will speak the truth to you, but it's not in love. And what happens when someone doesn't have love when they speak to you? You know it. I mean, you, you sense it, don't you? you? If you know that someone loves you and cares for you and they're, they're giving you some correction, you're like, yeah, 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 I know. But if they don't love you and there's no, there's no, there's no sense of compassion for you as a person, there's, what good is it? And you know, what's amazing is as we look at things that are said, you know, just think of saying to someone, you look nice today, you know? Now, it's not like you walk up, and I'm not going to go to a lady. I'm not going to pretend you're a lady, Jose. You look, you look nice today. Oh, stop it. You know? <laughs> I love you, brother. <laughs> but complimenting people, you know? Speaking something nice to them, you know? Like, I, I really love the fact that Alabama got to the national championship. I'm speaking nice to you. You know? I, I, I love this about you. I like this about you. I appreciate you doing this. You know, it's amazing how a little compliment can go a long way and how a, a negative statement can be dragging on, like in the illustration of the carpenters, for an entire life and actually cause the death of someone. You know? And we live in a culture right now that is so obsessed with, with image. Yeah. And words can be spoken that can, can just devastate someone. And as believers, I think we have to be very careful of, of our words. Another thing that's little is a little speck. You know, do you ever, do you ever, be, dri ever, ever be driving? Do, have you ever been driving and had an eyelash get in your eye? I don't know about ladies, but guys, it's like, you know, Stanford medevac. You have to, it has to be taken care of right then and there. I remember driving one day on the 101, I was going up to San Jose for a meeting, and I blinked, and all of a sudden, I couldn't see, you know? And so, like, I'm driving, like, you know, like, my wife says, like, Helen Keller, because I'm hitting the speed bumps, you know? So I'm driving, I'm hitting the thing, and I finally pulled off on an exit ramp, and I get out, and I'm like, really? Really? That little thing? The few hairs I have on my head cause that much pain, you know? And it's like little things. And, you know, one of the things I find about little things, especially specks and eyes, you know, the, the Gospel of Luke talks about it in Luke chapter 6, verse 41 and 42. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? Ooh. I thought Jesus was love. He is. He'd be speaking in truth. I mean, how many times do we look at the fault someone else has that is so minuscule and we have like a plank sticking out, you know? We have like a, a redwood growing out of our eye, you know? And, and we look at them and they've got this one little issue. And I, I found this, that usually the thing in someone else that annoys you is the very thing in you that you don't want to address. And what God says in his word is like, hey, dude, you're looking at this little thing in someone else, and you got like the giant redwood growing out of your forehead, and you can't even see it. And he says, look what he says. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when you yourself fail to see the plank that is in your eye? You hypocrite. Wow, that sounds like a loving Jesus. You know what he's doing? He was making muscle Christians. 
He was saying, I don't want you to be wimpy in your faith. I don't want you to be immature in your faith. I mean, it's one thing when a two-year-old points out something else than someone else, but when a a 22-year-old or a 32-year-old or 42-year-old or 52-year-old is pointing out someone else's faults, when they've got this glaring fault of their own that they don't see, you know, Jesus says, you guys are hypocrites. And he says, what you need to do is, first thing you need to do is you need to take the plank out of your own eye so you can see the, the speck in someone else's eyes. And whenever I read this passage, one of the things I always think about is the, the concept of judging other people. You know, that's not your job. That's not my job. That's his job. Let me, let me give you a, 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 a pass of, of responsibility. You are not the Holy Spirit. Just turn to the person next to you and tell them, you know, I'm not the Holy Spirit. And tell them, and neither are you. (laughs) You know? The Spirit's job is to convict, not ours. Now, as as a loving person, you may want to point something out, but make sure that there's no, you know, when you walk up to that person, you want to get close to see their speck, make sure you don't poke them in the head with your redwood. Okay? Make sure you address it because here's the thing about judging other people. It's okay to judge them, but the same standard that you use to judge them, you're going to be judged with. Oh, you shouldn't be looking at women. Whoa, yeah. You know, there's a difference there, guys. And one of the things that God has called us to is that we're to to build each other up, but the same judgment we use, we will be judged with. That's why Jesus addresses this. You know, and one of the things that is amazing, so many times we forget that it's little things that can really do us in. Where's Kimmy? Kimmy. There you are, Kimmy. I love Kimmy. Kimmy Kimmy has chickens, and uh, she loves her chickens. And there's just a little tiny bobcat in her yard that is bothering her chickens. It's just a little thing. I mean, it's cute. It's got pointed ears, and it's got whiskers. And, you know, they do commercials, and, you know, it jumps off the thing, and it turns into a little, little tabby. And it, what's it going to do to your chickens? It's going to eat them, right, Kimmy? You know, little things can destroy it. You know, there's a passage in the Song of Solomon that says this. It says, catch us the, little, catch us the foxes, little foxes that ruin the vineyards, and the vineyards... Uh, uh, that are in bloom. You see, a little fox has this annoying ability of tunneling and burrowing. And the worst thing you want in your garden is something that's going to dig it up and tunnel and burrow. And you know, I love this illustration because, I mean, aren't they cute? I mean, if you, if you watch Alaska Last Frontier, Sue has a pet one, you know? I mean, she loves her little Arctic fox up there running around with her. But you know, the reality is that little things can destroy us. If we don't address them, what happens is they get into us and they, they af- affect who we are as a person. You know, there's, there's an interesting thing in, in science. How many of you like science? Anyone like science? You know, there's an interesting thing in science called trajectory. Trajectory is the ability of something, how the angle that something moves of where it's going to go. So if you're like, say you're, in, you're not into, really into science, but you're into hunting, you have to calculate the angle of when you shoot your gun of where the, the velocity of the bullet going out of the barrel, going towards the target, and make sure that the trajectory is right so that it doesn't go too low or too high. 
You know, it's an interesting thing. Cal Poly has a thing called the Jet Propulsion Lab. They do it in, in, in conjunction with NASA. And the Cassini trajectory is really interesting because, let me come up on this side. Uh, this uh, spaceship took off. It was in the 1990s. And it was interesting because when it took off, it just kept circling the Earth. And not just the Earth, but it circled uh, Venus. It, it circled uh, uh, different planets. And what it was doing, it was gathering speed, kind of like you remember as a little kid going on the merry-go-round in the playground? You know, anyone ever have this experience? I got a little bit of a scar from one of those. Uh, where you get on the merry-go-round, and it starts spinning. And what happens is it starts spinning. The force is pulling you away, Right? So what happened with the trajectory of this, it actually, it, it circled around the planets long enough to get enough speed that then it was launched out into space. And it was amazing because it was launched out into space and then six and a half, almost seven years later, 6.7 years later, it arrived at Saturn. Let me tell you something. An angle, one small angle of difference would have sent that spaceship someplace else. One small little thing could have changed the entire trajectory of where it was going. So, how does that apply to us? Well, one of the things we do, we take little things and they change the course of our life. Why do we do the Daniel Fast at the beginning of January every year? Why do we do a Thirst Conference at the beginning of January every year? Because we want to change the angle of your spiritual trajectory. We want to launch you into a new arena of things. You know, it's amazing. Uh, I was reading about the Daniel Fast, and the, the main actor in um, Guardians of the Galaxy, who's a very outspoken believer, is actually doing interviews in Hollywood and, and online and in television shows about him participating in the Daniel Fast. And he talks about the reason he's doing it is, is not just for a physical cleansing, but for a spiritual cleansing. I don't know about you, but I tell you, it's good to reevaluate yourself. It's good when you have a, a new year to step back and say, you know what, God? I want to see if there's any little foxes that are in my vineyard that are ruining it. I want to see if there's any little specks of, of I, I know there's all kinds of specks in their eyes, but Lord, are there any planks in my eyes? Are there any things that I'm not addressing in my spiritual life that are keeping me from being the man or woman of God that you've called me to be? And, and that's why we do the Daniel fast, because I believe this. I believe things that you do in the physical affect your spiritual. You know? So if you do something in the physical realm, it can affect you spiritually. How? Well, you know, what would you, what would you think about your pastor if in the physical world I went out tonight and I got plastered and was driving downtown Morgan Hill, driving my little cube into all those nice cars parked along the side of the street, and I got arrested by the police. Do you think that physically would affect the church spiritually? You know? You know? If I decided, you know, I'm, I'm sick and tired of having a $300,000 mortgage on the building, I'm going to get down to Chase Bank and I'm going to withdraw $300,000. All I need is a ski mask and a handgun. Don't you think that would affect spiritually the community? Don't you think when someone goes into a school and shoots up a school... Does, don't you think that affects the spirituality of a community? They're just physical things, you know? Little things that we do in the spirit or in the physical can affect us spiritually. So what we do in this Daniel fast, it's, it's not to make you miserable. It's not like, to, let's, let's see, well, let's take 21 days to make 
all the Christians of this community absolutely miserable so we could experience the love of Jesus. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to say, you know what, I'm going to deny my flesh some things that I like. You know, I, I personally, I like cheese. I like carbohydrates. When, when Atkins died, I went and had a whole loaf of whole, whole grain baguette. I celebrated, you know. But I give up those things for the sake of saying, Lord, I want to spend that time to press into you. I want to have, I want to have an intimate relationship with you, God, and I want you to speak, with me, speak to me. One of the reasons why we do those guides that are out in the foyer and take them, if we run out, we'll print more, is it helps us as a community of faith all to be studying and having a devotional for 21 days on the same thing. You know, and, and, and saying, Lord, I want to press in to know you more. Yeah. And, and what we do every year at the end of the Daniel fast, it's not by coincidence, but at the end of the Daniel fast, we have a Holy Spirit conference here. Why? Because we want you to be, now that you've spent 20 days because you're in the 20th day or the 19th day of the Daniel fast, you're in that, you're spending time, you're focusing on the Lord, you're, you're not focusing on all these other things, you're saying, God, I want to focus in on you. Then we have a conference that we say, you know, now let's open ourselves up to be saturated by the Holy Spirit. Because I'll tell you what, there's one thing about the Spirit of God that you may not know. He has the absolute best in mind for you. He has the absolute best in mind for your relationships, for your finances, for your decision-making, for, for every single choice you have, for your careers. I've seen God do, doing, during times like this where people have pressed in, where they've said, you know, God, I want to press in to know you more. God has given them creative ideas in the workplace that has opened up entire new venues and avenues for them to do work. I've seen God take people's finances during this time where they press into God and God says, you know what, I'm going to address those little tiny things that you haven't been addressing, and I'm going to address them, and I'm going to change the trajectory of where you're going as a result of the decisions you make. I've seen where people, people in the Daniel Fast have come up to me years later and said to me this, Pastor, I remember we did this in our church years ago. And as a result of it, my health is much better because I changed my diet and I spent 21 days. I created a habit lifestyle of changing the way I eat. Now I'm much more healthy. I've lost weight. I don't have stomach problems like I used to. I don't have digestive problems like I used to. I don't have these other issues that bothered me. Why? Because you've made a little step. And let me tell you, when you make a step in towards the Lord, the Lord always does this. You know why? Because look what the, gospel, or the book of James says in chapter 4, verse 8. He says, hey, come near to me, and I'll come near to you. Yeah. You know? You want to have, have a better marriage? Spend more time with your spouse. You want to you have a better job? Spend more time doing what you're hired to do. You know, I always tell people as believers, you were not hired to be the corporate evangelist. You were hired to, to do the, the job that God's asked you to do. And do it in such a way that people say, why do you do it so well? And then you become an evangelist. You take them out to lunch, you buy them lunch, and you say, the reason I work so hard is because God has called me to do all things to the Lord. Whether I, whatever I do, not just praying, not just praising, not just reading scripture, but working hard and doing it as unto the Lord. And that gives me the opportunity to work so hard. Because I'm, I'm not working for this company, I'm not working for that company. Let me give you a revelation. As your pastor, I don't work for you. I'm not accountable to you. The board... I'm not accountable to them. They know I am, but not in the sense I'm accountable to him. You know, I'm like a Hebrew national Frank. I answer to a higher authority. You know, and the Lord says, I'm going to judge you in everything you do. And that means you are, everything you do, you do it as unto me. And so we, we want to encourage you during these, these, this, the first part of January, just press into the Lord. 
You know, God, God has some great things for you. And you know, so many times we think that we have to do these big things. We have to do these great things. You know what? There's very few people that will do great and large things. But there's a lot of us that could do little things. And those little things eventually become medium-sized things. And they eventually become larger things. And then for some of us, they may eventually become huge things. But you know where it starts? The journey starts back there. I don't know if any of you ever listened to uh, T.D. Jakes. He's a pastor of a very large church in Texas. He's probably one of America's foremost preachers. And he says this, he says, you know, people don't want to take the journey I took to get where I'm at. They see the end results and they want this, but they don't realize all the steps it took from there. When he was pastoring a church of 35 and someone told me he was a horrible preacher, <laughs> guess what? They're wrong. Uh, but he was faithful in those little things back there and eventually became all the way over here, you know? And in your life and in my life, we forget it's the little things that being faithful in the little proves that you're worthy of being faithful with more. And I want to challenge you as believers. I want, I want this house to be a house that is full of strong, vibrant, dynamic believers who aren't afraid to say, you know what, I'll do anything the Lord asks me to do. And it may sound crazy to you, but I'll tell you what, when you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and you get into the pattern of hearing him speaking to you, what you'll learn is this. Whatever he tells you to do is not crazy. It may sound crazy, but it's not crazy. And I found t- times where the Lord spoke to me to do something, and I did it. It was times where it didn't, it, you know, Lord, you're talking to David Willis. I have an earned doctoral degree. D- d- don't you know? And, and the Lord says, and who are you speaking to me? You're like dust of the earth. You know, didn't I form you? Who do you think you are talking to me? I'm the one that spoke everything into existence. Even those synapses in your brain that don't work anymore, I can refire them so they can work. So you just listen and do what you're told to do and watch and see what I can do. And every time God's done that, he's spoken to me and I've done it, it didn't make sense to this great cerebrum that I have. But God has always moved in powerful ways. I've seen people come to the Lord. I've seen people healed. I've seen people delivered. I've been seen people set free. Why? Because the Lord doesn't work through this. He works through spirit. And, and so many times, I'm not trying to discount intellect. You know that. But so many times we let our intellect get in the way of what the Lord wants to do because we're so much smarter than the God who created the universe when the reality is we just need to be faithful in the little and say, Lord, teach me your ways. Teach me how to do what you've called me to do. Worship team, come forward. I'm going to pray for us this morning because January is a new start. Everything about January is new. Some of you are still writing 2018, but you've got to be broken of that because it's 2019. It's the year of the Lord's favor. It is the year that the Lord is going to release things in you. It's the year the Lord is going to take you to new levels spiritually. It's the year that you're going to start on a new destiny of what God wants you to do. And I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray that you and I together, not just y'all, you and I together as a community of faith, we will be faithful in the little things. Does that sound good? Because when we're faithful in the little, then we know this, the Lord will give us more. And, and I want you to have every single thing the Lord has for you this year. I want you to come back next, 
next January and say, you know, Pastor, last year at the Daniel, Daniel, during the Daniel fast, you preached that sermon on little things, and I started doing little things, and this is what's changed in my life. Because you know what? God's got a great plan for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells you that. I know the plans the Lord has for you, not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope. To prosper. I love that. To prosper you. How many of you want to be prospered this year? You know? The rest of you, you come to benevolence, okay? But I want, I want you to prosper in every area, in your health, in your relationships, in your finance, in your jobs, all of those things. So let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we ask that as we're in the middle of this fast, that God, you will help each and every one of us to be faithful in the little things. Lord, I pray that we would not despise the day of small beginnings. But Lord, I pray that we would be men and women who see you moving in the small things. I see, see, Lord, that you would speak to us and you would reveal to us areas in our lives that we need to conform more to your image and likeness. I pray that, God, you would gently come to us as we're praying, gently come to us as we're reading Scripture, and speak to us, Lord, about those planks that we have. And I pray that, God, we would be open and receptive to hear your voice. I pray that, Father, we would not despise the instruction of the Lord, but, Lord, we would long for it. I pray that, God, we would be men and women who say, God, examine me. See if there are any wicked way in me. Lord, if there's anything in my life that is displeasing to you, God, I pray that you would cleanse me of that and that, Lord, you would be faithful to, to point it out in a loving way so that it can be addressed. And I pray that, Father, your Holy Spirit would empower us to do those things that you've called us to do. And, Lord, I just release over each and every one of us your blessing, your favor, your honor, and your protection. In Jesus' name we ask. There's prayer. Prayer teams are available for you if you would like to have special prayer for needs or something the Lord laid upon your heart while during the sermon. You know it's important to covenant with the Lord and make seal that, okay? Tonight we start right at 6. If you still want to come have it registered, just let Pastor David or I, or I know this morning, okay? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word that you sent today. And Lord, we receive that word and we act we're not hearers only, but we're doers of your word. And Lord, as you reveal things to us, Father, we're going to act on it. Lord, we know that you are, your love is present and overflows upon us. We don't have to worry, Father, about rejection or condemnation, but we can walk in that perfect love. So Lord, now go with us this day. Bless us as we go, Father, in your precious name. Amen. God bless you as you go into your next uh, week of the Daniel Fast.